Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> and uh, we have some readers now who are going to come and read to us the Christmas story. So I'll turn your attention to them. Our reading this evening is from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A baby, uh, there will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of, of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. Thank you, Cordell and Arlene and Owen. Appreciate you. Of course, that is the Christmas story that we all think of when we talk about the Christmas story. Most of the magical elements that we so enjoy come from that version of the story, Luke's version of the story. And historians tell us that the reason for this is because Luke interviewed Mary as one of the sources in his writing process, whereas the other gospel writers had firsthand experience of Jesus. So Matthew, for example, Matthew's gospel, Matthew was one of the disciples. And so he offers his own perspective of Jesus the man. And of course, the same is true of John. Uh, We talked about John's birth narrative this morning. It's pretty theological. There were some wide open eyes this morning as we dealt with the theology of Christmas. But that's what John gives you. He gives you his perspective, that exalted 10,000 foot perspective. And then of course Mark's gospel 
is actually the gospel of Peter. Mark was Peter's secretary. And so again, it's the perspective of a man who knew Jesus the man. It's in Luke's gospel that we get all these extra details around Jesus' birth. And it's a really good thing that we have Luke's gospel. If all we had was Mark's gospel, for example, then our Christmas story would read as follows. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, period, amen. That's, that's Mark's birth narrative. And then he goes immediately from that to John the Baptist and from John the Baptist into adult Jesus. So that's what you get. But Luke gives us a lot of Mary's perspective. So that's where we find all the magic. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because generally speaking, moms bring the magic at Christmas time. Uh, moms are the queen of Christmas. That surely is the case in our house. They make the magic. But the mom in our story also took the time to think about the meaning behind the magic. She thought about all these things. Luke 2.19 says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love that. I think that's a good example for us to follow. Mary doesn't deny the magic. She doesn't skip over it. She isn't irritated by it. Dads, I I think some of us maybe need to learn from that. Uh, Sometimes dads are a little bit Christmas scroogey, just putting that out there, right? How much does that cost? Uh, Why do we have to drive all the way to Kalamazoo to see your sister? Her turkey is always dry and her house smells like old cat. Dads need to embrace the magic. But we shouldn't just embrace the magic. We should also think about what it means and where it all came from. And that's what Mary did. She looked at all the wonderful things that were happening around her, and she pondered them in her heart. Why are the angels singing tonight? Why is that star shining so bright? What are these shepherds so excited about? And then several months later, she must have wondered, why have these wise men traveled so far? Why have they brought such exalted, magnificent gifts? Who is this child? And what manner of man will he become? Those are very good questions. Have you ever thought about those things? We sing about those things. We've just finished singing about those things. Of course, we make movies about those things. We write those things on our Christmas cards, glad tidings, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We write those things. And there's a sense in which we imitate those things. Like the angels, we sing. Like the wise men, we give gifts. Like the star, we want to brighten up our house with lights. So we remember, we imitate these things, but do we think about them? And do we ponder them? I want to do that tonight. The Bible doesn't tell us what Mary thought about all these things, just that she did. So we'll have to do our own thinking. Of course, we know what happened, so we have all the subject headings. We'll just have to fill in the pondering for ourselves. So let's do that. First of all, what were those angels singing about? They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. What does that mean? Glory to God, of course, is one of those things that religious people say, but it doesn't make sense to most of us. To glorify God actually means to think about who he is 
and the place that he should have in our lives. There's a sense in, in which all the planets glorify the sun because they orbit around the sun. They find their life and their meaning in relation to the sun. There's a sense in which you could say that sunflowers glorify the sun because they turn their faces towards the sun and they receive the blessing that allows them to flourish. That's what it means to glorify God. It means to see him as he is and to receive from him the blessing and the strength that you need to flourish and become the person you were created to be. And so when the angels say glory to God in the highest, what they're saying is that God has done something that will turn the faces of human beings back towards himself, that will bring men and women back into right relationship with himself so that they can receive the blessings and the strength that they need to become the people that God intended for them to be. So like a sunflower, let your face turn back towards the sun and receive the things you need for life. That's what it means, glorify God, to glorify God in the highest. And, and peace on earth, goodwill to men, what does that mean? Well, it sounds like the angels are saying, as we come back into right relationship with God, then we'll find ourselves in right relationship with other people. As we see God and receive from God, we'll be better positioned to live in peace and joy with others. That's one of our favorite parts about Christmas, isn't it? You know, as you get older, you see your siblings uh, less and less. And often, the times you see your siblings are at Christmas. I'm almost 50 years old now, and I see my brother and sister usually just twice a year. And one of those times is, is always at Christmas. So these are precious times. I had, uh, I had some old home videos. My mom was uh, going to get rid of this big box of home videos from the 70s and 80s. And I said, no, don't you dare. I said, give them to me and we'll, we'll get them turned into DVD. And so I previewed a few of them. And first of all, it's amazing how offensive and dangerous all life was in the 70s and 80s. It's quite remarkable. There were all kinds of things in there that should not be shared with anyone outside your immediate family. But one of the things that I was immediately reminded of is the fact that, you know, my brother and sister were my first best friends. Uh, and of course, little ones here, I don't know if you appreciate this, but it is true. One day you will look back fondly on the siblings who right now are driving you bananas. We, we had some, some interesting violence just in this row early this morning between siblings who, I won't say who they are and embarrass their mommy, but many years from now, they'll be hoping to get together at Christmas time. And so I was reminded of, of that. And in a sense, we're supposed to be reminded of that. In a sense, that is a reflection of this truth. It takes something really big to get you back together with your family once you're my age, and that something big is the birth of Jesus. So kids, when you get together later this week with your cousins and your aunties and your uncles and your grandmas and your grandpas, ponder the fact that it was Jesus, it's the birth of Jesus that is accomplishing this reunion. That's supposed to be in our hearts. Because of Jesus, we can have friendship with God and fellowship with one another. Jesus is the relationship maker. He makes relationships vertically, and he makes relationships horizontally. Think about those things. And then, of course, what about the star? Mary must have been wondering about the star 
course, when a woman is having a baby, one of the things she's not looking for is a giant spotlight to follow her around. But in the providence of God, that is what Mary had. And it had been shining for a long time. Uh, We know that because the wise men told Herod that they had started following the star when it arose. And so, of course, they arrived several months after the birth of Jesus, but the star had obviously been shining for a very long time to guide them all the way from Persia. So it was definitely one of the things that Mary was thinking about on that first Christmas night. Why is that star up there? And why is it shining so bright? Bible doesn't tell us what Mary thought about the star, but many years later, one of Jesus' disciples said that Jesus was the light of men and that his coming into the world was the dawning of the light of life. He said that Jesus was the spark that made us special in the beginning, that made us humans in the beginning, and that could bring us back to life now. We talked about that this morning out of John 1.1. So maybe that's what it meant. Light, after all, reminds us of life. There can be no life without light. We all need it. So maybe Mary, as she was pondering that light, began to understand that her child will bring life to the world. That's a good thing for us to think about when we see all the lights that people hang at Christmas. It's interesting that even people who don't believe in Jesus insist on decorating their homes with light at Christmas time. So maybe without meaning to, they are helping to keep alive this tradition of associating the birth of Jesus with light and life. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the spark that awakens us and empowers us to become again the people we were created and intended to be. So think about that when you see the lights at Christmas. Mary was definitely thinking about the light up above her, and no doubt she was also thinking about the shepherds standing right in front of her. Just like a lady isn't necessarily interested in a giant spotlight when it has come time to have her baby, neither is she interested in uninvited guests. Uh, Sometimes the dad is even an uninvited guest (laughs) when it's time to have a baby. When a woman is having a baby, she wants the circle of visitors to be as small as possible. But all of a sudden, there were strangers and visitors from far away. Shepherds were poor people, generally, and not entirely civilized. Mary and Joseph, on the other hand, were middle-class folks. They were from a noble family. And Joseph had a very good job as a carpenter. But all of a sudden, their circle of celebration included poor people who generally slept outside. And of course, most of us try to keep some part of that tradition alive as well at Christmas, even today. We give to the Salvation Army kettles, or we sponsor a family through the angel tree, or we give to the Christmas offering. Mary must have thought about why God was including these people in her special day. But she didn't protest. She went with it, and she pondered these things in her heart. Maybe she realized that the birth of Jesus was going to create new forms of community, that it was going to be a particular blessing to those who were generally left on the outside looking in. This little one in the manger was going to turn the world upside down. And in so doing, many people at the top We're going to tumble to the bottom. 
and many people at the bottom were going to be lifted up to the top. Do you remember Mary spoke about that? She sang about that, actually, in her song. And so Mary looked at these shepherds, perhaps, and thought, it's people like these, people at the bottom, who, when they take hold of Jesus in faith, are going to be lifted to the very top. Grabbing hold of Jesus elevates you and opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Maybe Mary was thinking about that. But whether she was or not, we are supposed to be thinking about that. Christmas time is supposed to remind us to welcome others into our circle and to expect the social order to be turned on its ear through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there were the presents. Sometimes as we get older, we get a little sour about all the presents. And certainly it's easy to go overboard, and maybe you need to repent, I don't know. But giving presents is actually one of the oldest Christmas traditions of them all. The wise men brought gifts, expensive gifts. They wanted to honor Jesus as the child who would one day be king of the world. Giving gifts is a way of expressing joy and love. That's a good thing. Can you think of the best gift that you've ever received? This isn't just a question for little ones. Little ones, your best gift might have been whatever it is you got last year. But what about some of the older folks like myself and even those older? Can you remember the best gift you were ever given? I remember, I did this little exercise myself. I tried to think of it. And I could remember two gifts in particular that stand out from my childhood. I remember receiving a remote control robot one Christmas morning. It was awesome. It, you could pick things up with it. And now awesome circa 1981. Uh, okay, today it would fly and make poetry. But in my day, it was awesome that it had little wheels and went back and forth on the tile and could pick things up and it said things. It broke later that Christmas day. <laughs> but while it lasted, it was the greatest toy I had ever received in my life. I also remember when I was about uh, 10 years old receiving a, a safe, an actual safe with a spinning dial lock uh, and its own combination. And uh, that was awesome too. Uh, my brother later broke the safe by firing hockey pucks at it until the door opened. But while it lasted, it was the greatest present I had ever received. So whatever it is, whatever is the best gift you've ever received, whatever great gift you're going to receive tomorrow, enjoy it. But like my robot or my safe, understand that all those gifts will eventually break or rust or be thrown out onto the garbage heap. Those gifts are just a reminder of the bigger gift, the better gift that we've all been given there are all ways that we remember and imitate the true gift of Christmas. We give gifts to each other because God gave Jesus to us. So when you get something really awesome this year, say thank you to whomever it was that gave it to you, but then also say a quick prayer to God. Say, God, thank you for the gift of Christmas. Thank you for angel songs, for bright lights, for family visits, for Salvation Army kettles, for robots, safes, and even older brothers. 
Thank you for all those good things. But thank you most of all for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his perfect example. Thank you most of all for his death on the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you that he rose again on the third day so that I could rise again and live with you and enjoy you forever. Thank you for that. Thank you for the gift at the heart of it all. Amen. Would you pray that prayer at some point over this Christmas season? As you enjoy all the magic and all the mystery, all the songs, all the lights, all the visits, all the laughter, all the food, and all the presents, as you enjoy those good things, like Mary did, ponder over these things in your heart. Remember where they came from. Remember what they mean. Remember who is behind it all. And as you do, remember to give thanks to God. Let's take a minute and do that together now. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Christmas that lies behind every good thing we will enjoy over the next several days. Thank you for the child who became the Savior and King of the world. I pray, Lord, that every heart would be open to receiving that gift this Christmas Eve and every day from this point forward, and that from that wellspring, from that source, we would recognize and be thankful for every lesser good thing that you bring into our lives. Father, you are the giver of every good gift, the Father of lights, and the sender of Jesus. And we give you thanks in his precious name. Amen.